Hello and welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted, and welcome to our first podcast back from our summer break. You are listening to what is uh, or was our September Story Slam. The theme was Oops. We were at the Wilmar Center. We had about 15 people sign up and tell stories. It was a packed house. We want to say thank you to Ale Asylum for sponsoring the event and Glass Nickel Pizza West for providing the uh, prizes for the winning storyteller. Uh, sit back and relax. Here's some great stories about mistakes. You'll hear a couple from me. Be sure to pay attention to Charlie and Wayne's. Anyway, let's get to it. Here is our story slam. Oops. Everybody here has made a mistake. I probably have. I, I actually said to my dad today, here's the problem. And we chose this theme, and I'm perfect. Like, I don't... Uh, <laughs> My wife's in the kitchen rolling her eyes. Uh, but, you know, I, oops is a really good open-ended theme. But, like, most kind of oops mistakes, you just kind of forget about. Like, it's like you hold on to them for that moment and you feel really stupid. But then you totally forget about it until, like, 12 years later and you're doing the dishes. And suddenly you remember that one time, instead of kissing your girlfriend, you hugged her and said, this is my hug. And you feel like an idiot. <laughs> That is a true thing that happened to me. <laughs> it was my first girlfriend, and I was too afraid to kiss her, so like I went in for the kiss and then like awkwardly hugged her and said, "This is my hug." <laughs> it's so weird. I was a senior in high school. <laughs> this was not seventh grade. Um, so my oops, the one that I could really think of, I one time hit a building with a bus. And uh, I used to drive for a company in town called Badger Bus. Badger does school busing. They do um, coach busing all over the country. I drove for Paratransit. Paratransit is uh, just like Metro Transit, except Metro contracts it out to Badger, and we pick up people with disabilities. It could be physical. It could be mental. They could be blind. They might just be old. Uh, so I remember I was picking up this woman named Sandy, and Sandy um, was a she, she was probably in her 60s and was attracted to every male driver we had. So it was always like really uncomfortable, and you would drop her off at home, and you would try and leave as quickly as possible. Um, so I was doing that, but she lived in this building that had this overhang. So I pulled up uh, alongside the, the doors and the overhang, and as soon as she stepped foot off my bus, I was like, and I, I turned left as I was going. So when I say I ran into a bus, or ran into a building with a bus, I just mean I scraped the awning. So it sounds better to say I hit a building with a bus. But So I... Uh, I, I turned left as I was going, so the top right corner of my bus scraped all along the brick of this awning and, and tore a hole in the bus. <laughs> like, I mean, straight through the bus. Earlier that day, do I know you? No? You, you look really familiar. Sorry. Welcome to Story Slam. Uh, earlier that day, it, it was my first month of working there, and earlier that day, I had backed up into a light pole. No damage done to the light pole. The only thing that had damaged on the bus was the bumper uh, pushed in on the left side. Um, and I got out of the bus right away, called work, and said, there's no damage to the light pole. Uh, the bus, uh, it's not really damaged. We'll be able to loosen the bolts and pull the bumper out. And they, <laughs> my boss said, did anybody see you? And I said, no. And they go, just drive away. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. But then two hours later, I hit a building, and I said no. 
Nope, I'm not going to be the guy, the new guy who hit two things in the same afternoon. So I didn't call in. And so I like, I finished my shift and I was like, how am I going to explain this? Cause like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to do a whole check of the whole bus before you take it off the property so that you can write down, Oh, there's damage here, damage here. So that just in case there is, they're not going to blame you. And I'm like, well, I can't like, I already turned in the slip that said the bus is in perfect condition. Um, I'm not a liar. I pride myself on not lying. This was like the one time I lied. Except I... I'd lied. I did. Uh, so I, I get back to work uh, at Badger, and uh, the guy, the head mechanic is a guy named Mike, and for some reason he loved me. Like, from my first day, he was in love with me, and it was great. He's, he was a head mechanic at uh, GM, at a GM plant for like 35 years, and then moved to Wisconsin, and anyway, you don't care about Mike. Um, so I get in, and I go to my boss, and I say, so... There might be some more damage than what I originally saw when I backed up into that thing. And they're like, well, what? And I said, well, come out and look. And remember, the damage from running into the pole was on the bottom left corner. This other new damage that I said was also from the pole was the top right corner. (laughs) Totally opposite. And uh, so they're like, well, what happened? And I, I said, well, I don't know. Maybe there was like a cross beam on the pole. And I, it, it, it somehow, and she's like, yeah, right. And so she calls Mike over, and Mike, Mike's looking at it, and he's like, yeah, Adam, I don't know. Well, you know what I think? You weren't, you weren't backing up when you hit this pole, were you? And I went, no, I was. And he goes, no, no. You must have been going forward and clipped the pole on the right side so that it dented it in on the left side and, and you know, scraped the right side. So it was all on your right. And I went, uh, no, Mike, that's not... And he went, that's what happened. <laughs> and I was like, oops, it was. So Mike lied for me and saved my job. All right, so our first storyteller uh, is a guy who's been coming to Story Slam for a few months now, and he's a great storyteller. Please put your hands together for Blake Alexander. Good evening. So, uh, anyone curious why there's always so many new faces here? It's this guy. So, last time it was my third story slam, like come up on stage, making people laugh, feeling good about myself. And uh, last month's theme was phobias. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to go extra meta. I'm going to talk about my former fear of public speaking and I'm going to tell them how like I've overcome all this stuff and then you come to a moment of clarity when you start talking about a past fear and you're like oh man maybe maybe like I, I'm not over it maybe I've just been like pretending really hard and like getting away with it you know fake it till you make it people like fib your resume get the job get a couple laughs so last week I got up on stage I was just like yeah I was terrified of karaoke let me sing some karaoke lyrics and I was just like oh shit I'm dying up here and it's like and there comes a moment of clarity when like your asshole turns cold and you get butterflies in your stomach and you know you've made a great mistake and you're like no everything led up to this moment was wrong and I'm going to regret this forever 
and I did. Like, it was terrible. <laughs> it was just not good. Like, I got off stage and be like, oh, yeah, you're fun, you little mercy. But, like, oh, they're like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, we wasted 10 minutes of our life on that guy. And, like, I went outside and I was just like, bawling, but not actually crying because you're not allowed to cry in America as a man. It's like, you know, it's a thing, you know. And so this past month, I've gone on like this journey of like finding my voice again. And it's been really amazing. Like, I've been going to karaoke and being terrible at karaoke. But if you can look 50 people in the eyes, right, and they expect a good rendition of Uptown Funk after the, someone saying let it go for the ninth time in a row, like you, you, you build up some confidence, you know. You know, I've been to places I've never been before. I've been to my first gay bar, and the drink specials were amazing. Like, if I ever find a dude that I really like, we're never going to a straight person bar again because we pay way too much for cocktails. Jesus Christ, what are we doing? I don't know what comes along. But, yeah, so my oos moment was really interesting. And when you come up here and you do your story slam, like, you may have this inner terror, and it does go away, and it, you do feel terrible, but it is just an oops moment, and you move on, and you can make a better person of yourself, you know, afterwards. So, thank you for listening to me tonight. Thank you, Blake. So Blake is right. He got up here and uh, and told or, and sang some karaoke lyrics. Uh, Blake, I hope you don't mind if I rag on you just a little bit. All right. He sang some karaoke, but I think the turning point for Blake was when he pulled out the lyrics to Eminem's Rap God and tried to actually rap rap. Has anybody here heard Rap God? The four people here have heard Rap God. <laughs> <laughs> well, rap god sounds like this. And but it, they're all real words and I Blake God bless you for trying. Uh, uh, Charlie is our next storyteller. So please put your hands together for Charlie. Keep it going for Adam. He's doing a great job. Adam everybody. Adam, get up for Adam. You guys were very hesitant on giving it up for Adam. You did not want to. Okay. Um, so my friend Jeremy and I um, decided to take a road trip to Nashville back at the beginning of the summer. Um, and before we did, we had to decide if we were going to take either his 99 Neon or rent a car. And I'll tip the story here. We decided wrong. We didn't know that the 99 Neon was not the recommended road trip car. Anything really pre-power windows is more of an in-state vehicle. But we, we were like, this is a money-saving decision. We'll go with the Neon. At the start of the road trip, I was like, oh, the service engine soon light is on. Should we be concerned about that? And Jeremy went, uh, no, that's always on. Is that comforting to you? Because I feel like we're having different reactions to that piece of information. So we made it all the way to southern Indiana before the car overheated on the highway. And southern Indiana is actually a very convenient place to break down because you're not in anyone's way. We're not blocking anything that's going on today. We're just, we have the space to ourselves right now. 
So we got out. Neither of us are car people at all. Like, I have opinions on cup holders. That's pretty much it. That's all I have. So we looked. took us too long to figure out that there was zero coolant in the car. We didn't have any coolant. And I was like, oh, I know how to solve this problem. I'll make a sign, and I will stand on the side of the road with a sign. Someone else will come and solve the problem for us. Turns out that happened. A guy pulled over after only a few minutes with the sign. I would describe this man as the kind of person who pulls over on the side of the highway even though he can't read what the sign says. His personality was, I have a lot of free time. That was, that was who this guy was. So we're like, we need coolant. He's like, hop in. We'll go get some coolant. I get in the car and... Um, we start going. So I introduce myself, and he tells me his name is Dennis Jingerbacher. And I hadn't realized that we were in the South yet, but we most definitely were. Because I had to be like, are you sure? Your name sounds like I made it up. Is that? So I was like, all right, Dennis, what do you do for a living? Because I wanted him to top Jingerbacher. Which, the only thing he could have topped that with would have been, oh, I play washboard in a band of roosters. That was, that's the only answer that would have been more southern than his name. So eventually we came back with the coolant. Um, we poured the coolant into the, uh, the, the coolant hole. That's... <laughs> and it continued directly to the highway. The... the which I was like, I don't think the design of this engine is that you pour it in and then it continues to exit the car. I know enough to say that's wrong. And Dennis is like, he has a lot of free time, but at this point he's like, all right, I'm out of here. This is where, like, you call a tow truck. This is professional at this point. I am not responsible for your car situation. So Dennis is gone, and the tow truck took a couple of hours to come. Um... Finally, the tow truck driver shows up, and uh, Big Norm gets out of the car. Now, his name tag just said Norm. I'm confident his friends called him Big Norm. <laughs> Zero doubt that this was a Big Norm. So he hooks us up. We get into his truck. All three of us are in the front seat. And um, I'm like, well, we talked to Dennis earlier. You two probably know each other, right? He's like, he, Dennis told us we should be going to Scottsburg. And uh, Norm goes, oh, you don't want to go to Scottsburg. We're like, yeah, correct. We don't want to go to Scottsburg. You nailed it. I'll be honest, this entire area was not our destination. Nowhere in southern Indiana even made stop for lunch on our itinerary. So we're like, okay, um you need a suggestion if you're going to tell us we shouldn't go to Scottsburg. He goes, oh, I'll call my buddy. He gets on the phone with his buddy, and he goes, yeah, they want to go to Scottsburg. You thinking what I'm thinking? Which is a really rude thing to say when we're the only two people in the car and he's talking about us. If you're going to say you thinking what I'm thinking, you need to clarify by being like, oh, we're not going to murder you. It's not... <laughs> it's not that. He didn't have the common courtesy to do that. So he gets off the phone and he's like, you boys want to go to Ramsey? We're like, all of your towns have equally meaningless names to us. 
do we want to go to Ramsey? That sounds like your call. He's like, we'll go to Ramsey. That's so we start going, and I can. Jeremy and I are both trying to justify in our minds the decision to put as much faith as we have in Big Norm. It's around this time that he has an empty Big Gulp, and he turns to us and he goes, "Hey, you guys didn't see this." throws the big gulp at the open window, but we're doing 50 miles an hour, so it just comes back out, hits the wind, hits him in the head, wraps around the cab, and hits Jeremy in the head. And that's a really hard thing to pretend you didn't see. But all three of us decided the best move was to pretend that didn't happen. So all of my justification is gone. My whole argument of, like, AAA wouldn't certify just any guy, that's gone. I'm not like, this isn't great. 45 minutes later, we see the sign that says, now entering Ramsey. And we keep going in a little bit, and I'm like, I really hope this becomes a town soon. It didn't. We just eventually pulled over on the side of the road where someone had set their house down. And we're like, that's not a good sign. So we get out. His buddy comes over at this point, pops the hood. Took him maybe a minute. He's like, oh, it's the uh, the timing belt and the water pump. Those are both broke. Don't know if we're going to be able to get that one going. And we're like, oh, well, you're the guy with the above-ground pool in his front yard. You You know what's wrong. That's... You're way ahead of us on this one. So we're like, okay, that's, that's a shame. He's like, yeah, it's going to be, we're going to not be able to fix it till tomorrow. You're going to have to, you know, go find a hotel, a town over. There's another guy hanging out on the piece of property, and he chimes in at this point. He's like, oh, yeah, there's two hotels you can stay at. There's the, uh, the Super 8, and then there's a Holiday Inn. But you don't want to stay at the Super 8 because that's where I put the homeless people and they all have fleas. And I was like, okay, we have two questions about this. The first is, where are your homeless people? Your town is a field. I don't know what you're even referring to. The second is, who are you at all? This, you need some sort of authority to be putting homeless people somewhere. Turns out he's the police officer in Ramsey we didn't know that because while he was in uniform, his uniform was just a t-shirt that said police on the back. <laughs> so it wasn't until he turned around that we're like, oh, that's why we we're listening to you. All right, I got it. So he takes us in. We go um, the flea list option. We go to the Holiday Inn, and we spend the night there. The next morning, it was one of those things where, like, you ever wake up in a good mood and then remember that you're sad? I woke up and I was like, man, I slept great. Why am I in a hotel room? Oh, I think I live here now. That's, I think that's where we are at the moment. So we're terrified. We don't know if the car is going to run. And then we finally get a phone call. And it's Big Norm. And he says, yeah, we got it running. Come on over. We'll get you out of here. We go. We have no idea what they're going to charge us. Timing belt water pump. If you know, if you've looked that up, that's those are expensive items. They charge us two hundred and fifty dollars, which is that's why they're poor. 
because they're poor because not because they don't have skills or a work ethic. It's because they don't understand how capitalism works. They could have charged us any amount of money. But they're just decent people, so they're like, oh, fair market, we'll do something fair. They don't get the system one bit. They could have just been like, we would have been like, what's wrong with the car? And he'd have gone, oh, it turns out you didn't even have an engine in there. <laughs> it was just a big bag of leaves. <laughs> and we'd have to be like, oh, boy, that sounds expensive. How much are you going to charge us for the new engine? He'd have been like, no, we just put another bag of leaves in there. It's going to be $3,000. Good luck on your road trip. All right, thank you guys. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, so again, our theme tonight is oops. The next story I have is not about an oops that I made or anything, but it is funny and relevant to something we were talking about today. Um, we were talking about karaoke a little bit earlier. Whenever I sing karaoke, uh, well, I write songs. I'm a musician, and I tend to write songs that are sad or and or morose. Uh, I, I wrote an album once called Dignity and Death. Uh, all of my songs are either about divorce or dying. Um, I had an idea for a song today that I want to call You Were Dead to Begin With, which is in reference to a Charles Dickens novel, the opening line of Christmas Carol. Uh... So when I go sing karaoke, I like to sing the ballads, the sad ballads, the love ballads. Who doesn't like those things? So one of my favorite songs to sing is uh, the Whitney Houston's version of I Will Always Love You. <clears throat> but whenever I sing it, uh, no. No, 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 no. So whenever I do sing it, uh, I, <laughs> I get up there and get the mic and say, uh, this is dedicated to my late wife. And then I sing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And, like, as soon as I say that, like, we go to the karaoke kid. My wife is there when I do that. <laughs> and uh, the karaoke kid, if you've ever been there, it's loud as hell at all times, even when people are singing. And when I get up there and say, this is dedicated, this next song is dedicated to my late wife, it's like, hush. And so then I'll sing it. And I, I, I'm a pretty good singer, but I can't hit all of those notes on that song. Um... And the first time I did it, I'll never forget, a little while later, well, while I was singing it, uh, my wife and our friend Natalie were having a beer at the bar, and this guy was, uh, these two guys were at the bar as well, and uh, one leaned over and goes, you hear this guy? He's pretty good. And the guy goes, yeah, did you hear about his wife, though? <laughs> and then, like, 30 minutes later, I was in the bathroom doing what you do in the bathroom at a bar, doing coke. No, I... I <laughs> I wasn't doing coke, I was peeing. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, and so I'm washing my hands, and this guy comes in and goes, beautiful tribute, man. And I went, oh, yeah, thanks. And I thought he meant, like, a tribute to Whitney Houston's song. And I was like, I mean, it wasn't that good. Uh, and he goes, no, like, your wife. And I, was, <laughs> and I laughed, and I was like, dude, my wife is in the bar right now. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I said, I just say that so people will buy me drinks when I get off stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do. Uh, our next storyteller is uh, Wayne. Oh, right, Wayne? I don't remember your last name, but give it up for Wayne! Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Wayne Hayes, and I'm a hypochondriac. And why that's important will become evident in a minute. I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, next to... Huh? 
The end of the microphone? Okay, is that good? Do you hear me? All right. Um, I grew up next to a house of five girls named the Schumacher Girls, and they all loved Elvis. And I really wasn't an Elvis fan. That wasn't my crowd. But uh, somehow, weirdly, after college, somebody said, my, my aunt said, hey, you've got to read this biography of Elvis Presley, and you've got to read the last part. I read it, and I got to the last part. When you get to the last part, you find that Elvis Presley, the last several months of his life, he couldn't defecate because he was addicted to narcotics. And um, when they did the autopsy on him, they found this mass inside him that they broke a scalpel off in. And that just never left me. Um, <laughs> never, ever left me. Um, so about a year later, I'm going to go to France. And I'm from Duluth, Minnesota. I'm a kind of a small town kid. And I'm, uh, I'm getting ready. My friends all want to celebrate. So send me off right. I have a day of partying with my friends, a day of partying with my family, and a day of partying with my coworkers. Um, so three days of partying, not sleeping. I get on a plane. I fly to France. I find out I can't sleep in a plane. So I'm up four days. I get to Paris. I get to my hotel. One of my friends back in Duluth said, you need to take these when you get to France because you're going to be so wired. Sleeping pills. So I took some sleeping pills. Had a glass of water. Went to bed. Got up at what I thought was the next morning. Went down to pay. And um, the lady said, okay, 400 francs. It was 200 francs a night. I said, what? Oh, my God, you criminals. She said, what? You were here two days. And I said, no way. And then I looked at my watch, and I said, way. Um, <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Um, and they said, we pounded on the door. We tried to get, get you up. We saw you in there because the chain, they opened it. Um, they saw me. So, okay, fine. So I get to my, I was, I was going to go to college or school there for a while. I got to my, my dormitory. I'm putting away my stuff. And I'm, I realize, oh, where's the bathroom? There's no bathroom. And all of a sudden I realize, like, you know, when was the last time I went to the bathroom? <laughs> and, um, and I thought... Well, like, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're on Saturday. I'm like, oh, my God. I haven't gone to the bathroom for six, five or six days. It's about that many days, right? And Elvis is flashing in my head. Like, oh, my God, you know, 40 pounds. I, I, I can't go like that. Um, so I, I, I put my stuff in my closet. I went out in the hallway, and I don't know anybody. It's my first day in this university apartment setting. I come up to this woman who's obviously French. I said, uh, bonjour. And I, I knew virtually no French at the time. Bonjour. And then I have to ask for Xlax in French. Um, I said, Xlax. She doesn't understand Xlax. Um, I said, I tried to say I couldn't go to the bathroom. She said, I don't know. That's never happened to me. Um, okay, thank you. I saw another woman. I quick ran over another woman. Um, I said the same thing. Xlax. No, sorry. Never happened to me. And thank God I saw somebody who looked American. And I went over to him, a guy, and I said, hey, I'm Wayne Hayes. I said, hi. And he said, hi back. And I go, oh, thank God, it's an American. Um, and I said, yeah, you know what? I can't go to the bathroom. 
And I haven't gone to the bathroom in six days, and I'm really worried. And um, I said, what do you do? And he said, I don't know. I've never had that problem. Like, oh, my God. Seriously. I said, seriously. You know, Elvis died. He had 40 pounds of crap in him. And, um, and he said, I don't know. Um, my grandma eats prunes. And I said... Right, no shit, no shit, yeah, right, of course, prunes. Uh, like, where, where do I get prunes? And he said, the grocery store, a couple blocks away. So I hightail immediately, I leave John, I go by the prunes, I'm walking back, reading the, looking for directions, there's no directions on a package of prunes, right? Um, I don't know how many. Um, so I get back to my room, I have my water, I eat the whole bag of prunes. Uh, um, thank God it wasn't the Costco size bag of prunes but it was it was enough so I, I ate those prunes and then it doesn't even give you an indication of how long it'll take um, so I'm there looking at the empty bag waiting all day um, by the end of the day I realized yeah I, I think I'm gonna go have dinner um, ate dinner nothing walk back to my apartment ponder what's gonna happen to me and how bad this is gonna be for me um, went to bed just crashed woke up the next morning nothing like, oh my god this is terrible I'm gonna have to go have breakfast so I go to breakfast I have to look at my student map find out where the breakfast place was I get there eat leave it's about three blocks from my place um, I'm coming back. I'm at, I'm at a stoplight on a six-lane road, one of the biggest roads in Paris. Um, at the light, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> it's today. <laughs> and the cafeteria is back there, about 100 feet. And I'm thinking, no, I, I don't want to do it there. I want to go to my apartment, which was about a block and a half away. But I thought, I can do this. The light goes green, and I'm, I'm on my tiptoes like this, so as to not, not have a problem. I, get, I, get, I made it to the median, and the light goes red. So I have to wait for the... And it was the longest light on the planet. Um, during that time, I realized I wasn't going to go much farther. I'm looking back at the cafeteria. I'm looking at my toward my apartment, thinking, I, "It's no, it's impossible." I tiptoe to the other end, to my side, and I get to the sidewalk finally. And I, oh my god! But it's it's now. And this is the moment. And <laughs> And I'm looking, and it's, you know, it's 8 in the morning and a pedestrian in Paris. And uh, there were people, and I'm waiting. And I didn't want to do it in front of a woman. So and there are women walking by, fine, and let the women I, I maintain my fortitude. But there were three African men who had these long, flowing white robes. And they're walking, they were so slow. They're the slowest people on the planet. And I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And there, there were some shrubs. I thought, if I could just get behind those shrubs. So then I tiptoe over to the shrubs. And I, the guys are not moving. The guys are about there, and I'm here. And they're impenetrable shrubs. I, there was no way. So I thought, okay, it's here, it's now. And I just ripped my pants down, and it all came out. And these African men... Not a glimmer of recognition, no humanity, not a smile, not a laugh, not pointing, just 
looking, looking at me. And I'm there just uh, so relieved and, you know, hurt. It's like I just had a baby, kind of. I'm sorry if that insults anyone, but I just, oh my God, I just, I pulled my pants up only to realize that I had hit the back of my pants and my shoes. But I'm okay. I'm going to survive. I'm not going to go out like Elvis. Um, So I'm pretty good. I got my pants back on, and I walk back to my apartment. I get to the apartment, and I realize there's a security code, right? It's gone. I'm there thinking, oh, my God. Because I can smell myself everywhere I go. I'm like pig pen. And, uh... No one is coming out, so I couldn't just sneak in. And there's the concierge's window. And I'm thinking, I don't want to knock on the concierge's window. Finally, I had to bang on his window. And he came out and he's, oh, Mr. Hayes. Mr. Hayes, you forgot the code, right? I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, oh, 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 la, 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 la. And I said, what? And then he looks down and he said, oh, my God, what happened? And I said, dog shit. And he said, I know, there's dog shit everywhere in France. And, and I said, I know, right? Um, and then he said, he went down in his pockets and he came out and he gave me two tokens. And he said, here, two free washes and gave them to me. And he said, there, go clean yourself. That's my story. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, anybody who enthusiastically uh, is like, yeah, there's so much dog shit here, is also somebody who shit their pants in an emergency. <laughs> uh, I have a few things to say right now. Uh, I like that you bought a bag of prunes and you're like, there were no directions. <laughs> it's not a prescription, it's produce. <laughs> Also, uh, the most concerning thing about this story is that you were comatose in your hotel room for two days. And at some point, staff came up and saw what they thought was a dead man lying in a bed and did nothing. Well, maybe he'll wake up tomorrow. I, nothing? They didn't call the ambulance? Or, man, those French bastards. Uh, no offense, Frenchie. Um... Sarah Bolt, are you here? Hold on one second, Sarah. Is your name not Dwayne, sir, in the black shirt? You're Dwayne Rodel, right? Yeah, I do know you. Anyway, our next storyteller is Sarah Bolt! Okay, I honestly don't think I can follow that story up, but I'm going to try. Okay, so... Just a slight amount of background so that the story is going to make sense. I just recently moved back to the area. I did two years of grad school here back in 2004-2006. So I'm pretty familiar with Madison. I'm pretty familiar with all the hemp fairs, all the legalized marijuana, all the you know free hippie kind of stuff that goes on here. I'm cool with it, but I'm as straight-laced as they come. I don't do drugs. I don't do any of that stuff. And that's going to be important in a minute. So, back in August, I scored an interview at a chemical company in Middleton that shall go unnamed. And I was kind of pumped because I really, really, really needed a job. And, of course, it was going to be one of these marathon interviews. Because now, not just one person interviews you anymore. No, they have to throw three, four, five people at you because, you know, one person is just not enough. 
So this time they were going to throw three people at me, 45 minutes each, one right after another. And of course, I was getting over a bad cold and I had this obnoxious cough. I'm like, oh, great. Doing so wonderfully already. So I get through the first two interviews, only mildly irritating myself and the interviewers with my stupid cough. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm doing awesome, right? I'm sticking to the script. I'm not saying anything stupid because when I stick to the script, I'm good. I don't do small talk. I suck with small talk. I should just shut the hell up when it comes to small talk, let's be honest. So then the third interviewer comes in, and this guy is like as emotionless as a cold fish. He doesn't smile. He doesn't do anything. He just stares at me like this. So I'm getting nothing out of him, right? That's just, that's not how I roll. So we get through all his stupid interview questions super, super fast. And I would have been more than happy to end it there, because now I'm losing my voice, I can't speak because I'm coughing so much. And we get the dreaded small talk. And this is where, of course, I put my foot in my mouth. He starts asking me questions like, oh, are you familiar with the Madison area? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I used to live here. Oh, I love Madison, you know, because I'm like a total liberal hippie. Soon as I said the word hippie, I'm getting like Cheech and Chong movies in my head. I'm thinking hemp fair. I'm like imagining this giant burning doobie, and I'm like, oh, shit, they do drug tests here. What if he thinks I'm a druggie? And without even thinking, I just blurt out, I don't smoke marijuana. <laughs> now, this guy could have had the decency to laugh. Instead, I just get the... So then I'm like, oh, crap. I honestly can't even remember how the interview ended because I was just sitting here thinking, what the fuck did I just say? Uh, needless to say, I didn't get that job. So if anybody needs a chemist, I can promise you I don't smoke marijuana. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, man, I totally forgot your first name, but your last name is Bradish. Is it Lindsay? Right? Was I, am I right? Lindsay Bradish is going to tell a story. Hello. So in August of 2012, uh, I packed up my whole life and moved to Singapore. And I had never been there before. I didn't know anybody, but that wasn't my mistake. Um, <laughs> I was moving there for graduate school in a small satellite program with New York University for dramatic writing. Arguably, that could be the mistake. But again, no. <laughs> my mistake was forgetting to buy duty-free alcohol on the way in. Because <laughs> here's a few things you need to know about Singapore. Um, it is... Everything you've heard about it is true. <laughs> you cannot chew gum. You have to smuggle it in. It's a really clean city. Big Brother will always be watching you. And it is hot as hell because it is right on the equator and it's extremely humid. And the last thing, it is so expensive. It is one of the most expensive cities in the world. So uh, I arrive exhausted after 30 hours of flying because no one tells you how far the South Pacific really is from here. <laughs> and I 
go straight past that glorious duty-free display because I'm just so tired. I want to go to my hotel, a hotel room that I treated myself to for one night before I spent over a month in a youth hostel, Uh, a hotel that my mother booked for me, and a hotel that I later found out is usually only frequented by prostitutes and Tinder dates by the hour. (laughs) So thanks, Mom. (laughs) So anyway, I get through that, and the next day I head on over to the hostel, and it's one of three hostels in a three-block radius of each other in Chinatown in Singapore named Very Good, Very Nice, and Very Best. All with a cute, adorable polar bear as as the logo. Um, And over the next couple days, about 30 of us from the program kind of filter into these, and we start meeting each other. And so starts the gauntlet of trying to, like, meet people and see, like, who you can live with for two years. And this is hard for me because I'm always suffered from social anxiety. And you're kind of already working at disadvantage because, like, you can't even look nice for these people because you're hot as shit. You're like, (laughs) I'm sweating profusely. Like, I'm not going to wear makeup. One night, I put on mascara to go to an illegal gay bar with with one of these students, and he's like, girl, who are you kidding? (laughs) Don't even try. Um, So what do you do? You drink. And that's where alcohol comes in. But, as I said, it's a super expensive city. And after always eating out every day for a month, we were looking for housing, drinking at night, and then realizing that you're going to need about $3,000 to get an apartment, uh, you run out of money quickly. (laughs) I came pretty well prepared, but even then, I was still worried. So, luckily, or so we thought, one of the workers of the hostel, who was named Ashaik, told us that he could probably help us out. And he seemed like a pretty cool guy. Like, he kept a bottle of flavored vodka under his desk that he'd give us shots of occasionally. And he always turned a blind eye when we would steal things from the hostel, like towels and coffee mugs and Rob Lowe's groundbreaking memoir, stories I only tell my friends. (laughs) You know, the essentials you need to start an apartment. (laughs) And... He said, here, I can show you where you can get cheap liquor. I'll tell you. I'll give you three clues. He said, go to Little India, and it's going to be across from a big field, and just look for the big gay lights. Okay. (laughs) Go to Little India. Yes, I I can do that. That's a train right away. Uh, Across from a field, I know what those look like. (laughs) Big gay lights. What? So, and with that, a shake disappeared in a poof of smoke like the genie he is. And, but not really, he just refused to tell us any more information about where we could find this booze. So we go to Little India. And as straight-laced and rule-abiding Singapore is, Little India is just the opposite, even though it's part of it. Uh, people jaywalk, which is crazy. And people are just everywhere. And Strange is also on a Sunday night, so there are only men in Little India. And I don't know why that is to this day, <laughs> but like women disappear on Sunday nights. Um, so we, we're, we're walking around for like over an hour, and we finally come across a place that could maybe look like they're selling alcohol. We go in there. 
the man refuses to speak to us or even tell us how much anything is worth. And so we're like, oh, this is, this is strange. Like, why aren't you selling us anything? We're just assuming it must be part of, like, the Singapore mafia. And we decide to leave before we get caned or anything. Um, and so we keep going. We finally find a place across from another field, which there's a lot of fields in Little India, which is weird because this is a city of, like, five million people. Like, where, why do they have so many empty spaces? And a man was taking the shit in this field. <laughs> Maybe he had too many prunes. <laughs> and there's a store that has Christmas lights out front. We're like, big, maybe not, gay, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> and we go in, and they, miracle of miracles, sell us liquor. And I buy a bottle of vodka that they say is distilled in Kentucky, but I had never heard of it before. And for all I know, the shopkeeper could have brewed it in his bathtub. <laughs> but as I say, you get what you pay for. And uh, <laughs> the Almighty, they were right in this instance. That vodka tasted like dirt fire going down. <laughs> and the same coming back up <laughs> into a cereal bowl my brand new housemate provided at the last moment <laughs> for me. But I learned my lesson. I, uh, I now know that you probably shouldn't use alcohol to f- make friends because <laughs> it sets you up for some problems long distance wise, but also to never leave the airport without a bottle of gin. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. All right, our next storyteller is James Farley. Give it up for James. So I asked, I asked for this podium because um, I have some letters for my story, but um, written materials are not typically allowed for story slams, so I don't want any special favors, so I'm just going to recite them all from memory. Not really. I'm going to paraphrase, and it'll be great. Um, I make lots of mistakes every day. Um, um, a lot of them have to do with communication. Um, just... Not even three hours ago, I ordered two pizzas for my friends, and I sent them to the wrong house and gave the pizza place the wrong phone number. Um, There was no pizza. Uh, um, Yeah, so there were a lot of things that I was thinking about for this. Um, And the story I'm going to tell is about me getting engaged to my wife and how much I disappointed her parents during the six long months leading up to that day. Um, In October of 2011, or 2010, 2010, something. Some, some, see, (laughs) already the paraphrasing is going south. Um, Yes, so it's October. I'm going to, I found the band that I want to get And I'm going to buy the diamond later because getting them both at the same time is expensive. So I called Laura's parents and I said, I'm going to get this ring. And I'm just letting you know that that's happening. Um, I didn't say band. I said ring. And that was a key failure on my part because they thought I was getting a ring. Um, And I wasn't. My plan was to pay off the band for a few months and then get a diamond. Um, 
So the first, so from that day, Laura's mom started writing a series of missives to her and presented it to her at the wedding, and it was very sweet. Um, and I'm just going to tell you kind of the content of, of some of those letters. So um, that first one, the day that I called them, she, <laughs> she wrote... In just a few days, you're going to celebrate four years together, and I don't know if James will pick that day to propose, or in two weeks when you guys go into the city to celebrate, but I just know you'll say yes. Um, She did not know that she was going to wait six months. Um, A month later, uh, she um, (laughs) she wrote, I just can't wait for this weekend. I don't know if he's going to propose. If he does... You and my, you and your dad are, are my, your dad and I are prepared. We have downloaded Skype. <laughs> uh, the letter from the next day says, "We were so sad when you called and told us that you didn't go because James had a kidney stone." <laughs> uh, at the start of December. Um, so then, like, we, um, we were apart for Thanksgiving, so I didn't see Laura's parents at all. And I didn't correspond with them because I thought we were clear on the payment plan. Um, we still weren't. Uh, and, yeah, so on, or on December 7th, uh, Sharon, Laura's mother, was doing some Christmas shopping. And her father asked her to purchase both versions of Father of the Bride because he was certain that we would be engaged by Christmas and he wanted to present these um, as a Christmas present. Um, That did not happen. Um, Instead, when we went to Christmas, I um, talked about how I was saving up for a PlayStation 3. And I could feel the hatred coming from the other side of the room, but I didn't understand why. Um, so, yeah, just really bad, guys. Um, in February, we went to, um, Laura's dad was a photographer, so we went to the Iowa Photographers Convention thing where he was the president, and he had to give a speech. And he introduced his wife and Laura and I, and he introduced me last, um, and did what I think was a, well, it was a dig at me, um, He said to a room full of professionals that I did not know, they say that no one is ever good enough for your daughter, and that couldn't be more true than it is with James. So I was standing with a light on me, and he said this. Um, So that's great. Um, And then it also snowed, it blizzarded. It blizzarded. Um, So we had to stay there for like three, two or three extra days, something like that. So I was just with these people who, I just felt like a schmuck. Um, so then in March, I finally called them and I told them that I was getting the diamond and I was going to be able to propose next week. And Sharon wrote in her, uh, in her letter, James sounded so excited on the phone almost even more than when we gave him rock band. (laughs) So that's good. Um, uh, So then a few days later, um, I proposed to Laura, who all this time too, um, just a side note, all this time too was harassing me, asking me why we weren't getting engaged. Because I was saving money. See, being responsible. Um, 
Yeah, so um, that's it. I like my wife more than rock band. And uh, I'm married now, so that's great. Yep. Thank you, James. To be fair, rock band's a pretty good game. Uh, Tom Schmidt is our next storyteller, and uh, if you're familiar with Tom, hold on, hold hold the applause, jeez. <laughs> what if I was just an angry host? Uh, stop clapping. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tom, he's got a great story that I love that we're not going to tell at Story Sam anymore. But ask him about it. He might fill you in. He might drop it on you, if you will. Uh, but put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. Um, there was a, uh, a shit story earlier. And uh, so I, I can't resist doing this, so I'm going to. Um, but this guy walks into the doctor's office, and the uh, doc said, what seems to be your problem? And the guy says, well, he says, every morning at 8 o'clock, I have a bowel movement. And the doctor said, well, there's not, nothing the matter with that. And the guy says, yeah, but I don't get up till 9. All right, <laughs> now we're now I'm back in business. Um, so uh, um, my oops moment is uh, picking up a uh, hitchhiker uh, one morning uh, on my way to work, and uh, so it is a real cold morning in in winter time, and uh, I'm a was a carpenter. I'm retired now. And we were, uh, I was driving down the uh, Gorham Street in my van, which uh, really never gets warm until I'm on the far west side of town. But nonetheless, I saw this woman hitchhiking on the side of, the, of uh, Gorham Street. And uh, she was at a bus stop, but it was, it was below zero. And I just felt, all right, fine, I'll pick her up. So I stopped. And she hopped in the, we talked for a little while, and um, then she said, uh, I'll give you a blowjob for $20. And I said, uh, no thanks, I don't need the money. Uh, Anyway, that's my story. That was so funny. (laughs) Uh, Matt Hazelton, you're up next. Clap for Matt Hazelton. Hello. Um, If I talk like this, can everyone hear me? No, uh, like this? This is like my first time holding a microphone. A little more like this. Awesome. All right. Um, Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Matt Hazelton, and uh, I have made several mistakes in my life, uh, and this is one of them. Um, And it it stands out because it's one that came from a place of really, really good intentions, uh, and also because I did it in front of 150 people. 
Um, so uh, a few years back, I was a grad student, um, actually in southern Indiana at Bloomington. And uh, no, nothing good happens there. That's probably the, the common theme of, of the evening. Uh, and uh, I found myself teaching a class. Um, I had been a teaching assistant for uh, a few semesters. And uh, as a result of having experience teaching this one particular class in like basic media, uh, understanding uh, screen literacy stuff, uh, they said, oh, you can actually just go ahead and teach it the next semester, which I was really, really excited about because I love teaching. And it's a really fun class. You know, it's all about getting college freshmen and sophomores to think critically about media. Like, oh my god, there's people who actually hold cameras and write scripts and do all of this stuff. And it's just like mind-opening to watch them realize that that's a job. Um, so I took all of the experiences that I'd had as a TA for that class and sort of wove it together into what I thought was a really solid curriculum. And I realized that uh, the one thing that people had had a lot of trouble with in previous semesters was just really basic visual thinking. You know, like no one could sit down and think of something in their head and figure out how to turn it into a picture. You know, like uh, they just thought that that all happened. And so I realized that the, the best way to start this was to get them comfortable with drawing. You know, like just get them to the point where they could translate something that was in their head uh, and turn it into a visual image. You know, that was just like a really, really big hurdle that it seemed like we had never, never come over before. And so uh, the very first day in class, I'm like, all right, turn to your neighbor and, and draw their face. And, you know, everyone is, is horrified and nervous, and then they do it, and they're, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And I'm like, look, you, you drew a face, and, you know, your neighbor sees that it's a face. Like, you can, you can draw. You know, and then a few weeks later in the class, I decided to go all out and do a, a really, really basic drawing class. You know, I'm not an artist myself, but I can draw stick figures, and I can draw perspective, and I can draw boxes. And we'd spent uh, basically a whole class doing all this stuff. And by the end, I'm like, look at this. You know, you can draw a box. And if you draw another box on top of that box, you can draw a car. And if you draw a box behind that box, you've drawn a building behind the car. And everyone's actually kind of freaking out because they're drawing this stuff. And it looks really pretty good for people who have never, ever drawn before. Um, so, you know, it's this giant lecture hall. And I have successfully taught them all really basic drawing techniques through PowerPoint, uh, which I feel awesome about. And so I'm, I'm just kind of doubling down on it and trying to build them up. I'm like, you know, you can take these skills out anywhere. Everybody can draw. You can draw and you can draw. If you have two hands, you can draw. Yeah. Uh, so uh, right about where, where you're sitting, sir. Uh, kid with one arm. <laughs> um, which was the first hoops. And so at, at that point, I had several options I could take, and I picked the three worst. Uh, the first one was obviously to make eye contact, um, because at that point, I knew that he knew that I knew that he had one arm, and I was thinking about it. Uh, the, the second worst thing that I could have done, which I then did, was uh, giggle a little bit, because... You know, uh, I mean, like, like even right now, I'm, I'm, there's a part of me inside that is laughing just thinking about it. Uh, and then the third worst thing I can do in front of a class is try to backpedal. 
and say, well, you know, it's, it's not that you have to have a, a hand. You, 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 it's, it's about seeing with your eyes. So if, if you have eyes, you can draw. Um, and so that ended about as well as you would expect. Uh, he ended up dropping the class, and about a week later, I got called into the dean's office to make sure everything was going okay. Uh, so uh, that, that's my mistake, and it's worth pointing out that's actually the, the second biggest mistake I made teaching that class. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I have one more thing to say that's funny. It's not really a story. <laughs> Look at me just saying it was funny. Uh, I got really pissed off this week, actually, at a Red Lobster. <laughs> Which, in and of itself, sounds ridiculous. <laughs> have you ever noticed that uh, an automatic paper towel dispenser gives you just enough paper towel to just piss you right off? Like, I mean, it gives out, like, it's, it's like this long and, like, that wide. That's really good for a podcast, hand motions. Uh, and it's just enough that when you grab it with your one hand, it's completely soaked. It, just by grabbing it off, and your hand is still soaked, and your other hand is definitely soaked. And then, I don't know why they do this, but they do this thing where, like, after you've swiped it off, if you immediately go back and do that, like, nothing happens. And so you're like, okay, I'll give it a second. And then you do that again. Still nothing. So then you're like furiously... It looks like you're just masturbating the air. And so you're just doing this, and then somebody walks in on you, masturbating the air, and you're like, hey, what's up? My hands are wet. I got, like, like weirdly pissed off about it. We were eating at Red Lobster, and I came out, and I was like, Ashley, you will never believe... But, uh, I mean, have you ever been in a public restroom and some guy or woman, I don't, it's, it's different for men and women because guys were right out in the open when we're in a public restroom and, and other men are more uh, apt to just walk in on you doing a weird thing in a public restroom because we're just right there. But like women, you've got the extra protection I don't know. Women, tell me if this has ever happened to you. I have been in the bathroom doing my thing uh, at a urinal, and a man I don't know and will never know will come up to me. Well, he'll stand next to me, and he'll start doing his thing, and he looks over, and he's like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? You enjoying your night? I was like, Well, I was. <laughs> does that happen, women? I Like, does somebody go, Hey... I really like your shoes over there. I don't know. It's weird. Bathrooms are weird. Public restrooms. And I, women, do you have rules in your public restrooms? Men, really? What are? What's one of the rules? No talk. But we have that rule, and every man I've ever known breaks it. Men, we all know at a urinal, like if there's a wall of urinals, if there's six of them, we all know, hey, there's the one space rule. There's a guy here, empty urinal, I'll go here. And empty urinal, the next guy will go here. And like uh, the union downtown, uh, the union terrace, their bathroom inside, there's like a wall of like 18 urinals. And it's awesome because there's always space. I... Countless times will be the only man in that bathroom using a urinal, and there's 17 more, and a guy will come right up next to me, and I'm like, why? <laughs> 
I, I don't get it. So, not that that's that funny, but I am pissed off about bathrooms. I'm pissed off about paper towel dispensers. I don't remember who our next storyteller is at this point. So let me just walk over here. Uh, Megan, who was originally supposed to be our second storyteller, is now here. So please put your hands together for Megan McGuire. So going back to last month's theme, one of my fears is public speaking. So uh, I haven't fainted in years, but just, you know, you guys right there might want to look out. Um, so I have one sibling, a younger brother, and we grew up in fairly stereotypical middle-class suburb in California called Pleasant Hill. And when he was 19, he joined the Marine Corps. And about six months or so after he joined, he was stationed in one of the bases outside of San Diego, California. And we have a lot of family in Orange County, California, including a couple of cousins that he was close to. So it's not uncommon for him to go up there with some of his Marine friends on the weekends and hang out there. Um, So one Saturday, I wake up to a text that my cousin has sent me late the night before. And it uh, said something of the following. Don't tell your mom or any relatives ever. It's Thomas's tattoo. He doesn't know what the tattoo is of. And no, he wasn't drunk. (laughs) And then it's accompanied with a picture of my brother's back with a tattoo. And uh, the tattoo is of an anatomical heart, but there, it, there's like bands around it and a keyhole in the middle. There's an, one arrow going through it, and it has one wing. And it's kind of in a... <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's in like a watercolor style with lots of primary colors. To me, like, I, it's something I would associate like with the Grateful Dead, sort of. Um, So parts of this text are clear to me, and then parts are confusing. Like the don't tell your mom or any relatives ever, that seems reasonable. Um, That my brother got a tattoo was evident from the picture. But then the confusing part is that he doesn't know what the tattoo is of. So I feel like this needs explanation. So I call my brother, and I'm like, Thomas... I got this text from Lorraine. She says you got a tattoo, but that you don't know what it is. And he's like, Megan, it's brilliant. You can only regret a tattoo if you know what it is. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, I pause for several seconds as I collect my thoughts. And I'm like, Thomas, I think there are some problems with your theory. (laughs) One, don't you think you'd be tempted at some point to like look in the mirror? And then what if you don't like it? Two, every time you're like shirtless, you're going to have to explain this to the people around you so that they don't accidentally tell you what your tattoo is. And then third, I still think you can regret this even if you never know what it is. Um, but he is adamant. He's like, no, this is brilliant. I'm, I stand by this idea. If I never know what it is, then I can't possibly regret it. And he's like, but you can't tell mom. 
I'm like, okay, I've kept plenty of secrets from our mother. We're good. I won't tell. But about uh, six months later, I'm home for Christmas. At this point, my brother has been stationed in Okinawa, Japan, so he is not coming home for Christmas. So it's me and my parents. And uh, one evening, we are at my godmother's house, uh, and her, my godmother's 90-something-year-old Irish Catholic mother is also present. So it's the five of us having dinner, and since we're all adults, uh, we're drinking wine with dinner. And about two glasses in, my godmother starts talking about her coworker and how her coworker has a bunch of tattoos. And my, god, my godmother and her mother and my parents are all talking about, like, tattoos. Like, why do people get tattoos? You know, it, like, hurts your chances of getting a job. Like, it's forever. What if you regret it later? And it, it's basically, like, millennials, like, kids these days. <laughs> Um, And I, uh, something about me, when I've been drinking, I lose all filters. I will answer any question asked. If I have something that I've been wondering about you or a topic that I've wanted to bring up that I haven't mentioned, uh, I will bring it up if I've been drinking. So I burst out laughing because they're talking about tattoos. And I have this really great tattoo story about my brother. And they're like, Megan, why are you laughing? Do you have a tattoo? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't have a tattoo, but I'm still laughing. And they press me further, and I reveal uh, that my brother got this tattoo, that he doesn't know what it is. I tell them the whole story. I crack. Um, So the next day, I apologize to my brother. I have broken the sibling code. I have revealed a secret to our parents. Um, But he forgave me, and it's been three years, and he still doesn't know what his tattoo is. Thank you, Megan. All right, our next storyteller judges. You do not have to judge because it's actually one of our judges who's going to tell a story that happens from time to time. So since we have to be impartial, he has no chance of winning. Also, he's my brother-in-law, so... It's not super impartial anyway. Put your hands together for Josh Beiser. Well, that's actually the best introductory uh, introduction you could have given me. No one could judge me now. That's perfect. So no judging. I'm going to walk. I'm going to pace because otherwise I'll do really weird things with my hands. Um, uh, <laughs> we've had a few stories without it, so I'm going to get back to poop. Um, <laughs> My wife and I travel quite a bit. (laughs) They're laughing because I've heard this story. Um, My wife and I travel quite a bit, and one of the tricks that we kind of like to do when we travel internationally is we we travel late in the day, so when we get to our destination, it's early in the morning, and then we just we sleep on the plane, and we're up all day. Um, We were going to Munich. Uh, We landed in Munich. We had our packs. We had a really hard time finding the hostel. Wandering the streets, trying to find the hostel. Mind you, this is after our previous trip that we had some really sketchy encounters in Amsterdam at a hostel. Um, Yeah, we did leave with all our organs, so that was fine. Um, We finally get to the hostel. um, And... 
Wayne, I have no idea how you went five days without pooping because if, because if I go two days without pooping, I am like the angriest man on the planet. <laughs> so one of my major problems when we travel is that first poop. And I get really, really anxious because it's usually two days before I go and it's really uncomfortable. Um, but luckily when we get to Munich... By the grace of God, I already had to poop. I was so excited. I was the happiest man in the world at that point. Um, I was in Munich. I was getting ready to go to the Hofbra house, have brats, beer, pretzels. I couldn't have been happier. Um, so I quickly went into the bathroom, very excited. Fully undressed, because it was one of those. Yes. Um, and if you've traveled internationally, you know, like, obviously things are a little different. Um, th this hostel, the, the bathroom was really small. Essentially, I was sitting on the toilet and my knees were touching the wall on the other side. Um, the shower was separated by just a curtain and a small lip there was really not a lot of room that way I had my elbow on the sink um, which actually wasn't that bad um, <laughs> but and there wasn't a lot of water in the toilet yeah uh, exactly oh no <laughs> um, so I, I was in there everything was going very well and um I went to flush, and I went to flush again, and I have a tendency to be a little aggressive when, I, when things don't go my way, and I tried to flush again, and all of a sudden I heard a click. Oh no. So the toilet is full at this point. The toilet is broken at this point. I'm standing there going, oh no, what am I going to do? Because um, it's a hostel, small room. Obviously, my wife is trying to get ready herself, and, and, and this is, it's going to get messy. So, <laughs> I stand up, <laughs> turn around. open up the lid of the toilet my dad's a plumber so I know what's going on in there <laughs> all of a sudden I realize I have actually broken the toilet <laughs> so I am in the toilet fixing the plunger my wife at this point, wakes up, doesn't know what's going on, knocks on the door, walks in, sees me standing over the toilet, butt naked with my hands in the top of the toilet, trying to fix the toilet. And I go, oops. <laughs> So, long story short, I got it fixed, I got it flushed, 
And we enjoyed Munich. Thanks, Josh. I definitely thought that was going to be a different story uh, about a shower curtain and your wife. <laughs> None of you get that joke. How do you feel about that? Uh, our next story, our next storyteller is named Paul, and his last name is Twitey. So put your hands together for Paul Twitey. I'm told that I uh, should try to speed this up a little bit. So maybe I'll skip some of the earlier parts of this story. Uh, when I was in college, I studied abroad in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, my roommate decided that, uh, so we got there in the spring. So we, you know, we got there in mid-January sometime, uh, winter in Eastern Europe. Uh, my friend decided that while there was still snow on the ground, he wanted to go skiing. Uh, and so we took a trip to Slovakia. And the uh, lovely country of Slovakia has a nice set of alpine mountains in northern Slovakia. And I'm from Minnesota, and Minnesota, like Wisconsin, is really into, you know, winter sports. But we don't really have mountains. So, like, my experience skiing before this was on something that was charitably called Buck Hill in the Twin Cities area. I think that the total time that you can get from the top to the bottom of the hill is, at best, about 30 seconds. And so we're going skiing in actual, honest-to-God mountains, um, which was a little terrifying. So the first day that we went out, uh, we managed to get our stuff together in the morning, and we went out and we went spent a whole day skiing. Uh, it turns out that actually the, the the resort closed pretty early in the day, just because at some point in the in the evening the clouds roll in and uh, you can't see anything anyway. So it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, everything shut down. So we, the next day we resolved we're going to go early. We are going to get our shit together in the morning and we're going to catch the early train to get the early bus to be there at open essentially. So. We do this, uh, you know, college students trying to get up early in the morning is a little dicey anyways, but we eventually get our things together and we're walking on our way to the train station and we look over and one of the things was we rented skis for two days and, uh, and skis and snowboards for two days and they let us keep some of the gear. I think they just didn't want to sort it out the next morning, so we hung on to it and had to bring it back the next day ourselves. My friend Jane is wearing her snowboard boots. And the rest of us are all carrying shoes, but she's not. And we look at her and we're like, Jane, what are you going to wear back? And she's like, oh, I got my boots. I'm good. Like, we're only staying for two days. You don't get to bring these home. At which point she realizes, you know, the situation that she's in. And uh, she's, we'll figure it out. It's going to be fine. And we're, only, we're already halfway to the train station. It's a 10-minute walk. We're running late for the train because we didn't want to wake up early. And uh, so we make it the rest of the way to the train station. We head out for the day. The first day that we were in town, because like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with alpine skiing, um, I basically went down the, slow, the, the, the most gentle slope I could find on the mountain about five times over, and that was my day. Um, one of my friends has convinced me on, the, on day two that I should go down something more intense with him. And so I do, and we're doing okay. I'm about halfway down the mountain, and I fall, and I hear 
and feel something pop in my knee. And I immediately know what's going on, because this is actually an injury that I had had before. I dislocated my kneecap halfway up a mountain in Slovakia, where I don't speak the language. And this isn't really that big of a deal. Like, it pops out and it pops back in right away, and it's really uncomfortable, but I'm not going to be able to ski the rest of the way down the hill. So I... I don't know. My friend who has been going down with me stops a little bit further down and yells back up at me and says, Paul, are you okay? No. <laughs> I make it clear to him I'm not going to make it the rest of the way down the mountain. He's like, you want me to go get the ski patrol? I'm like, I got this. And so I decide that my solution to get the rest of the way down the mountain is I'm going to sit down on my skis and slide down like it's a sled, which, by the way, being a Minnesotan has prepared me very well for. <laughs> So I do so, and it's, you know, it ends up being in bits, like I slide down for a little bit, and I realize, wow, I'm going really fast, and I can't really steer this thing, and I sort of just keel over, and then recollect my skis, and go back out, and it's fine. Make it to the bottom of the hill. I'm not skiing the rest of this trip, but there's a lovely chalet where I get to drink mulled wine until my friends are done. So my friends finish, and at this point, it's we have to deal with uh, Jane's mistake of the morning, we manage to rustle up two shopping bags, which she wears as shoes, and uh, gets a lot of piggyback rides from my friend Greg. So, we make it to the bus, you know, with Jane being carried on Greg's back for most of the way, which is fortunate that Jane's about yay tall and maybe 110 pounds dripping wet, so this works out okay. We make it back to the bus, we make it onto the train, and we're ready to head out. Of, we're ready to get back to the hotel and head out of the country. You know, some mishaps aside, the train conductor comes and uh, knocks on the door to our little compartment under the train. Open the door, hand him all of our tickets, and uh, usually they'll just take a glance at him, hand him back to you, and you're good to go. That's not happening for some reason. Uh, he sits there for a while, and he has a, like a little digital, uh, you know, display that he's punching away at. And uh, he leans over to me, because I'm closest to the door, and he says something in Slovak, which I do not speak at all, uh, and is, like, gesticulating in his monitor. And uh, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. It immediately becomes clear to me that uh, we accidentally got on a first-class train car when we did not have first-class tickets. And it's clear what's happening, and I, you know, I try to say, oh, well, we'll move, that's fine. He's not having any of it. He's firm. We have to pay whatever the fee is for, you know, the, the difference, which is, I think that the exchange rate probably amounts to about $30. Um, and so we scrape together what money we have, but we're about to leave the country, and we don't have that much local currency. So we get together what we have. I think it's maybe five bucks. And I hand it to him, and he looks at me like... That's not going to do it, buddy. I'm like, I don't know. So at this point, he's just done. He gives up. And he makes a shushing gesture to us, indicates that our stop is three stops later, and closes the curtains. And that's how I accidentally bribed a Slovak train conductor. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, James Shulkin, you are next. James Shulkin. Uh, James, you got to keep this at five minutes or less. So, again, keep putting your hands together for James Shulkin. Thank you. 
Hi, I am James, and there are three, three oops moments in this story, okay? So I'll try and point them out as they occur. So this happened a very, very long time ago, probably in the 1960s, and it occurred in Mackinac Island. You've all been to Mackinac Island, you know Mackinac Island. So this is a family vacation. This is the Shulkin clan family vacation. It's the Philadelphia Shulkins and the Milwaukee Shulkins, or the Wisconsin Shulkins. So the Wisconsin Shulkins are, are me. I'm Jimmy in those days. I'm about eight years old. My brother Bobby, my sister Dara, my little sister Lisa, my parents, Richard and Sidel, my grandparents, Joseph and Marion, and then the Philadelphia Shulkins. So my father's brother, Mark, Sonny, his wife, and their two kids, Nedra and David, who are also small little kids at the time. So we're in Mackinac Island. We're having a great time. Mackinac Island is a little bit odd because there are no cars on Mackinac Island, only horses, bicycles, walking, and carts drawn by the horses. So it's our last day in Mackinac Island. It's a wonderful vacation. We're all getting along very well. And there's a fort on Mackinac Island. I think it was built during the French and Indian Wars. Um, it's famous for never having a shot fired in, in conflict. So there's this beautiful fort there. I'm eight years old, so the coolest thing in the world to an eight-year-old boy is a fort. Stockades, cannons, cannonballs, jails, very cool thing. So it's our last day on Mackinac Island. We've checked out of the hotel, the Hotel Windermere, which is a big, beautiful hotel, big wraparound front porch, very, very charming. It's our last day on Mackinac Island. We want to kill some time before the ferry takes us back to Michigan, back across the mainland. So the ferry leaves probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So we all decide, well, let's just all go back to the fort and hang around and have some fun. So we go up to the fort, and the ten of us are there, kind of wandering around. And here comes the first oops moment. I'm there wandering around, and I look around, and oops, my family is gone. I'm left at the top of the fort. My family is missing. Okay? So that's an oops moment. That's my first oops moment. Well, what does an eight-year-old child do when he's suddenly stranded in the middle of some very strange place? My idea was go back to the hotel because I knew that our baggage was still at the hotel. So I figured they've got to get the baggage. They like the baggage more than they like me, so I'm going to go with the baggage. So I go back to the baggage Go back to the hotel. The bag is, is, is on the front porch, okay? So I figured, well, they're coming back to get the bags. All right, so I'm sitting there with the bags. My sister had a guitar. They value the guitar more than they value my sister. I know that. So I'm holding the guitar, and this cart pulls up, horse-drawn cart pulls up. This young guy gets off the cart, starts grabbing the luggage, putting it on the cart. He literally, literally grabs the, ba the guitar out of my arms, puts it on the cart, and he speeds away in this horse-drawn cart. So that's another oops moment. Oops, now I'm really stuck on Mackinac Island. So now I need you to start imagining this in your head. An eight-year-old boy running the mile down to the pier where the ferries are, because now I'm starting to realize they're going to be on the pier waiting for the ferry, and I'll catch up with them then. 
but I'm running the mile down to the pier. So then I run to the pier, and at their very moment, the ferry is leaving the dock. Okay? So now I'm running like this. Wait, 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 wait. So imagine that eight-year-old boy, tears streaming down his face. And when you're eight years old, you only remember things in pieces. Okay? So I remember the other people on the pier watching this eight-year-old boy running down the pier. And they're crying because they see this eight-year-old boy running down the pier. Okay, so the boat's leaving. It starts going off in the distance. I'm screwed, right? So, so again, you remember these things in pieces. I remember the harbor master coming and rescuing me and putting me down, okay, putting me in a bench and getting me an ice cream, okay? Just about this time, there's another oops moment. This is my mother's oops moment. She decides they're, on a, they're actually on a ferry, and the ferry is pulling away from the dock, taking them back to the mainland, and she has this oops moment. She goes, let's count heads. <laughs> Little too late for Sidel Shulkin. So she's counting heads, and she goes, oops, where's Jimmy? <laughs> Jimmy's crying his eyes out at a different dock, watching the boat go away and eating an ice cream cone. So somehow my father runs up to the bridge, talks to the captain of the boat, and makes him turn the ferry around, goes back to the pier, drops him off, and somehow he manages to find me. Okay? My last memory of this experience is me sitting on the back of the boat with my father, throwing popcorn in the air, and the seagulls coming and taking the popcorn as I threw it over. And that's my story. Hey, that's going to be it for us today. Uh, be sure to tune in next time. We'll probably uh, book some more guests for the Long Slam. Uh, probably do a couple more episodes of those pretty soon. I'm going on vacation this week, so uh, I'm not going to pay too much te- attention to the podcast. Hey, our Story Slam for the month of October uh, is October 24th. We usually do the third Saturday in of the month, but uh, in October it's the fourth Saturday. So that we're closer to Halloween, uh, we are having a costume contest. Anyone who comes in costume and tells a story is automatically entered to win $25. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, search Madison Story Slam, or Twitter and Instagram at Story Slam Madison. Catch you next time.